Well, I hope you can do better than that. Well, as you have no doubt figured out by now, um, artificial intelligence slowly infiltrating every single aspect of our lives, from business to education, uh, government to our homes, we are all starting to find ourselves surrounded by devices that have the capacity to learn and to problem solve and to respond to us. Uh, It seems like every few months we find there's even more it can do than we we initially thought that it could. And as it continues to get better, it is growing in its skill set. Right now, it can read a book for you and then summarize it so you don't have to read it. Uh, it. It can write for you. It can write a letter, a report, a speech, maybe this sermon, you'll never know. I wrote this, don't worry. Uh, it can play games, it can make art. It, it seems like the list of things that it keeps doing can grow and grow and grow, but there are still a number of things that it cannot do. Or when it tries to do them, things don't work out as well as you would hope. Take for example, Amazon's Alexa. Among the many things that Alexa can do for you, she can shop for you. Like, you can say, Alexa, buy a new box of Cheerios, and a box of Cheerios will be at your house in two days, right? But the problem is, with voice-activated AI, parents have to be incredibly cautious. A few years ago, this six-year-old girl from Dallas, Texas, thought that she was having a conversation with Alexa about her love of dollhouses and her love of sugar cookies. And a few days later, both of those items showed up at her doorstep, that dollhouse and four pounds of cookies. Her mom and dad couldn't figure out how this stuff got to their door. Was this a gift from someone or or where did it come from? Then it hit them, maybe someone had ordered it through their Alexa. They pulled up the app on their phone so they could see their history. It allows you to look through your conversations. And the exact conversation their daughter had was this. Brooke, the six-year-old said, Alexa, can you play dollhouse with me and get me a dollhouse? And Alexa said, would you like me to buy you a dollhouse? And Brooke said, yes, thank you. I love you so much. (laughs) $170 later, mom and dad added parental controls to their Alexa. Um, The craziest thing about this, not long after that, when a San Diego news broadcast was telling this story, one of the news anchors finished the story by turning to their co-anchor and saying, can you believe all this girl had to say was, Alexa, order me a dollhouse? and people all over San Diego that were watching with Alexa in their homes, (laughs) their device was triggered to order more dollhouses. You gotta be careful with your voice-activated AI devices, right? Like, Like, right now, if I were to say, hey Siri, call mom. Hundreds of you need to check your phones right now and make sure that I am not calling your mom as we, like, you better check, pull out your phone and check. Well, while AI seems to be getting better and scarier every single day, like I said, there are some things that it cannot do. For example, it cannot make moral judgments. While it can be programmed to choose between right and wrong, often in life, things aren't as easy as right and wrong. Often, we have to choose between wrong and another different wrong. Or, or, or two competing rights. And AI is not able yet to make complex moral judgments like that. And it can't feel empathy or sympathy or anything else for that matter. Yes, it can be programmed to make you feel like it feels, like when you get an automatic email reply to your complaint that says, I'm sorry to hear about the issue with your order. I understand your frustration. But come on, 
The technology is not sorry, and it has no idea what frustration feels like or any other emotion because it's a robot. And one other thing I'll say about AI and what it cannot do, it cannot know you. It can know all about you. It can know what you wear, what you buy, what you browse, what you listen to, what you watch, where you drive, where you live, how much money is in your bank account, how much money you owe. It can know all about you, maybe even more than you know about you, but it cannot know you or understand you, which means that it can't join you in your happiness or your excitement, and it can't be there for you when you're afraid or when you're angry, maybe more than anything, it can't be there in your sorrow. It cannot help you in your suffering. Just to prove what I mean, I typed something into Bard this week, which is Google's new conversational AI that is in beta. Uh, Here's what I wrote. I wrote, I am sad. Give me a list of things that make me feel better, that will make me feel better. And Bard did a really good job giving me a list. Way to go, Google. Uh, We'll put it up here on the screen. Here's a list of things it said that will maybe help you feel better. Connect with loved ones. Talk to a friend, a family member, or a pet. Practice self-care. Take some time for yourself. uh, Get some exercise. Do something creative help others, seek professional help. I think those are very good. AI got it right. But do you notice something? What it did very well was point me to actual people. Three of six of those suggestions sent me to people that AI cannot be. That said, look at how it closed its response to me. Please stay safe and remember you are not alone. It takes time to heal and you will get through this sending you love and light. What love? Does Google's AI love me? And whose light? Is it the blue light coming off the display on my computer? And I I appreciate the sentiment that I'm not alone, but how do you know? What if I am? I bring this up today, not because I want to rail against artificial intelligence. I'm actually pretty impressed. I bring it up because there are some moments in your life where you will experience sorrow. A hope you have or a dream will go unfulfilled. A thing that you value will get taken from you, will just stolen out of your hands. Uh, A fear you have will actually come true. A person you love will cease to be in your life. A person you love will cease to be. You will experience sorrow. And all of the artificial intelligence that exists and all of the self-help books that have been written to make you feel better, even people, all the platitudes that people will share will not bring you comfort in your sadness. And all the things that we've created and we've come up with to help you in a moment like that will very likely be lacking. But there is a Hebrew word I want to teach you today that is made for that moment. It is a word that God gives us to speak to us in our sorrow, in our suffering. And and here, I want to ask you to do something right now before I show you this word. Would you be willing to, to, to bring to mind some of the sadness that I'm talking about? My guess is everybody here has something that we hold some sadness over. And I know for some of you that is very prominent right now. Like you walked in this morning feeling it. It's why you're here. You thought that church might help you with that or lift you up out of that. Others of you, you're going to have to think for a second because maybe yours is a little bit removed. Um, Or if you're like me, I don't like to feel my sadness. So I just put it out of my mind. 
Just the notion that somebody would ask you to bring it back to mind a little bit today is crazy. Do you know how much work I've done and time I've spent denying that I'm sad? Don't undo that. I hear you. Just for the next 20 minutes, would you let yourself think of it? Because there will be another moment of sadness that is coming eventually, new moments. And there's a word that God has given us, I wanna teach you today, that will help you in that moment. This word will be a game changer. But to remember it then, in the future, when you need it, I think you need to apply it to something right now. I wanna tell you about this word we read in the Bible, this Hebrew word, yada. Would you say yada with me? Yada. Now, real quick, I need to say yada is not to be confused with Yoda. It is a completely different thing. Uh, or if I were to say that like Yoda would say it, completely different than Yoda yada is. Yes, mm. <laughs> yada is actually a word you might have heard or you might have even used it before. Have you ever used the phrase or heard the phrase yada, yada, yada? Usually you use it when you're telling somebody a story and you don't want to go into every single detail because a certain part of the story is predictable or it's tedious or it's boring and you use a yada, yada, yada to skip over the boring part. Uh, like if my wife says, Chris, how was your day? And I say, it was fine. I went to work. I, I had a meeting with our pastoral staff, yada, yada, yada. Then I met up with a friend for coffee. She would know whatever happened in between the pastoral staff meeting and the coffee is not worth me saying because it's the usual, it's the stuff she already knows about. That, that is how we use yada, yada, yada. Kind of like we use et cetera, et cetera, or blah, blah, blah. And yada is this word that I am suggesting God is, is going to give you to change your life. On a surface level, what it simply means is to know, to know, which is why yada, yada, yada is used the way it's used. It means, you know, you know, you know. I don't need to tell you what happened between my staff meeting and coffee because you already know, yada, yada, yada. On the surface level, it means to know but when we see it in context in the Bible, it is so much more. It is not just to know, it is to know intimately. For example, the first time that we see it used in the Bible is in Genesis 4.1. Here's what it says. Adam yadad his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. The NIV just translates yada there that Adam made love to his wife. But many translations just simply say this, Adam knew his wife. That is the literal translation, Adam knew his wife. Now, in case that's confusing for you and you thought that knowing someone is enough to get them pregnant, the NIV took the liberty of doing the math for you and they just changed it to made love too. But the word means know and know intimately. This is to really know someone. This word is used 946 times in the Old Testament. And uh, it is not always talking about sex. In fact, most of the time it's not talking about sex because what yada really means is to have experiential knowledge of someone or something. Experiential knowledge. Knowledge that's not just in your head. It's not just data. It's not just information. That's why AI cannot yada something because to yada it, you have to experience it. It's experience. You really know something. And I want to show you some ways that that word is used in the Bible that I think will be incredibly important to you in moments of sadness and heartbreak, even devastation. I believe this word is meant to be a gift to you in those kind of moments. 
The first is in Psalm 139. Uh, actually, the word yada is used in this one psalm seven different times. Let me just read to you a few of the verses from this psalm. And instead of using the word yada, I'll just read it in English, and I'll highlight for you where the yadas appear, okay? Verse one, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. I'm going to skip to verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Do you get the idea that when David writes here about God yadaing him, he's not just simply saying, you know me like Alexa knows my shopping habits. You, you know about me. He says, God, you know me. Verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He uses yada for himself. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In other words, God, you know me so well. You knew me before I even knew me. Before there was a me to know, you know me better than myself. This is experiential knowledge. God was drawing near to you, experiencing you even before you were born. Okay, let me call a quick time out here real quick. Can I just say, this would have been highly unusual for anyone in, in any of their surrounding cultures to say about their gods. Gods don't know you. They don't know anything about you. I mean, they may know you if you do something to tick them off, but gods don't know you the way that, that he says that God knows him. I mean, this God seems to have a level of knowledge that is incredibly intimate. A God would not have that level of knowledge unless a God was like really into you, like obsessed with you. And that is exactly what David wants you to know about how God feels about you. He is really into you. He is obsessed with you. One could say that he has been stalking you since you were in your mother's womb. And why? Because this God loves you that much. We don't quite know the context of this psalm, but what we can tell from some of the verses toward the end of the psalm is that David is being persecuted in this. People, people are after him who want to do evil to him and to God, and we know this because after all of these wonderful things he says about how God knows him, he says, God, if only you would slay the wicked, and he goes on a rant about the people that he hates. But that's important. That's important information because what it tells us is the first two-thirds of this psalm, which are all about how God knows him, they are a soothe for his suffering soul. Somehow in his sadness, he takes comfort in the fact that God knows him, like really knows him. And this is the first thing the Bible would have you know, is you go through whatever you are going through, this fact God knows you, like really knows you. And this should make all the difference in our lives. 
Some of you know what a potter's field is. Uh, it's a place where unknown people or unclaimed people, really, who have no family or friends, it's a place where they are buried. These have existed for thousands of years, and we even read about them in the Bible. Well, there's one of these off the coast of Long Island, New York. It is an island itself called Heart Island. Over a million bodies have been buried there since the 1800s. It's a placement for the homeless, the poor, immigrants, poets, and artists who have died penniless, really. It's a place where the state has buried their forgotten people. It's a place for people to be buried who are not known. Three years ago, during the COVID-19 crisis, they dug a mass grave on Hart Island. Um, early in the pandemic, people were dying in New York, including people who, who, who did not have people of their own, and their bodies were placed in these cheap crate-like coffins set side by side as backhoes and men in hazmat suits covered them over with dirt people dying without dignity, and then being buried on an island far away for the fear early in the pandemic that you could catch COVID even through just being around the body of a person who died with COVID. The last two weeks, we've talked about being ignored and being forgotten. These are forgotten, ignored, unknown people. Well, on Hart Island, in the very middle of the island, there is a large cross on this pedestal, and engraved on the pedestal in large letters, it says, he calleth his own by name. What that means is, he knows us all by name. This cross that stands in the middle of Hart Island is like the definitive witness, he knows us all by name. The person who's forgotten, ignored, and alone, God knows. And in your grief, your sadness, whatever you're going through, to know that somebody knows and doesn't just know about it like it's on a list of prayer requests for them, but he knows you and exactly what's happening with you and how it's affecting you, that makes a difference in your sorrow. Which actually brings me to the second way this word is used that I think might be helpful for you today. This one we find in Isaiah 53. Um, Isaiah is what we call prophetic literature. What we mean by that is Isaiah is a prophet. He's talking to the people about what's going on with them exactly in their moment. He's talking on behalf of God to them and talking to God on behalf of the people. But sometimes in this prophetic literature, a prophet will communicate something about the future. And Isaiah does that in this chapter. Long before Jesus comes, he talks about Jesus. Without even naming him, he describes what will happen with Jesus. Take a look at this. It says, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him 
and by his wounds we are healed. Okay, this is, this is so clearly about Jesus that later in the New Testament, books written almost 800 years later, Isaiah 53, what we just read, is referenced connecting it to Jesus like seven times by Matthew and Luke and John and Peter and Paul. This passage that details the suffering that Jesus would someday go through. Well, I'm showing you this because in verse 3, Right before Isaiah goes into detail about all of this suffering, he writes this. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, one who yadad pain. And Isaiah uses this word to say that Jesus knew. He had intimate knowledge of, experiential knowledge of pain. If you have ever gone through something that nobody else you know has gone through and you're talking to them about it and in an attempt to console you, they say, I understand how that must feel right now. You may find yourself thinking, no, you don't. No, you don't. You have not experienced the sorrow the way that I am experiencing sorrow. How dare you suggest that you know? And this is what Isaiah says. Jesus knows the deepest of pain. Look at these words describing Jesus' situation here. Despised, punished, pierced, crushed. If you keep reading that chapter, judged, cut off, buried, suffered, poured out. Not only does God know you so well that he really knows what you're going through, he knows the pain personally. And why does that matter? Because sometimes in your sorrow, you need somebody who's been there to help you know that this is not the end. Earlier this year, a video of a flight attendant went viral after helping a nervous passenger. This woman was a passenger on a flight from Charlotte to New York, and another passenger made it clear to a flight attendant she was really struggling, and it was at that point that the woman began to cry, and one of the flight attendants came up and sat with her and said, you know what? I got you. I'm going to be here for you. Just anything, let me know. And with every little noise, she would be like, what's that? You know, planes make noises. And, and the flight attendant would say, that's okay. That's just the wheels going up. That's just the plane turning or whatever the case may be. This made such a difference for her. The flight attendant just sat next to the woman, sat in the aisle holding her hand and reassuring her, that she was safe. And this other passenger thought that it was so beautiful, they wanted to capture it with a video and put it online. I think that's actually incredibly invasive, but whatever, makes for a good story. <laughs> Sometimes to get through your pain, whatever you're going through, you need to have somebody who's gone through whatever you're going through, who's been there before, so they can tell you, this is normal. This is okay. You will survive this. I know that bump feels scary, but that's just turbulence. It's over eventually. I've been on this flight before. And Yada is meant to tell you that Jesus knows your pain, like really knows it. There's one more way this idea of knowing appears in the Bible that I think might be helpful this morning. And we find it in the New Testament, which means the word, that, the word yada is not used. The New Testament is in Greek, yada is Hebrew, but we find this concept that we're talking about there. Jesus is speaking in John 10, and he's using the metaphor of sheep and a shepherd. 
And at this point, he's already said that the shepherd protects and the shepherd saves and the shepherd gives his life. And then in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And real simply, what Jesus does right there is he invites us to know him. He says, God is not a distant God. And in the way that he knows you, like really knows you, you are invited to really know him intimately as well. Paul writes in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You can know Jesus the way that he knows you. There's this incredible moment in the movie Jurassic Park. You've all seen Jurassic Park, right? This world-class paleontologist, Alan Grant, he's devoted his life to the study, the study of dinosaurs. He suddenly comes face to face with real live prehistoric creatures. And he falls to the ground dumbstruck. And the reason is very clear, because there's a T-Rex right there, but also it's because it's, it's one thing to piece together an informed but imperfect image of dinosaurs by, by going through fossils and through bones. But to encounter an actual dinosaur, well, nothing compares to that. I, I think for many of us, spirituality for many of us is all about picking through these artifacts of faith that have survived from long ago and far away, from way back when humans saw God and would hear from God and experience his awesome power. But that was way back then. I think that some of us know Jesus, maybe even lots about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. We've not had an intimate experience of him yet, and I want to tell you, he is inviting you to that kind of knowledge. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. In whatever kind of sadness or sorrow or suffering that you might find yourself in, God does not just know you and your pain. He wants to reveal himself to you. In just a minute, we're going to close with a song. And, and as we get ready to do that, can I tell you that this kind of firsthand experiential knowledge of, of God, this is what Christmas is all about. Think about that. God designed you for a face-to-face -face encounter with him, which is maybe why God orchestrated the ultimate face-to-face -face experience, Christmas. God himself took on flesh, a baby born in a manger that would see the face, that we, so we could see the face of God in Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. A God who would know us, know you, and what you're going through so well that he would come here so that you could know him. What would it be to take him up on that this Advent season? What would it be for you to find some time between now and Christmas to not just know book knowledge of God, but to just pause all that you're doing and have an experience of him? He is inviting you to know him the way that he knows you. Where might you need to make some space? Mental space to even have the ability to be aware of God. 
Only you can figure out what needs to change, be added or subtracted to your rhythm in the next few weeks to know him the way that he has invited you to. How will you this season take him up on that offer? There's a song that I don't think in the 16 years that I've been at Crosswinds we have ever sung here. So you may not know it, some of you might. And because of that, I've just asked Derek to come and sing it for you, um, over you, and maybe eventually invite you to stand and join him. But for now, would you just sit and, and listen to these lyrics, listen to these lyrics, let them speak to whatever you have got going on.